coming tonight. So we're um, essentially wrapping up our series uh, in the first part of Romans. And our, uh, if you've been here, we've been studying it together. We've called our series Broken and Beloved. And the last two weeks, we've been doing this thing where we're talking about Christ in your past, Christ in your present. Tonight, we're going to talk about Christ in your future. And to do that, we've been using Taylor Swift lyrics. And so tonight, here are the lyrics. It's from Wildest Dreams. Here's what she says. He said, let's get out of this town. Drive out of the city, away from the crowds. I thought heaven can't help me now. Nothing lasts forever, but this is going to take me down. He's so tall and handsome as heck. <laughs> He's so bad, but he does it so well. I can see the end as it begins. My one condition is, say you'll remember me standing in a nice dress, staring at the sunset, babe, red lips and rosy cheeks. Say you'll see me again, even if it's just in your wildest dreams wildest dreams um so here's why that song that song because there's kind of two things i want to say one is part of me get like so i've listened to that my wife loves this album so i've listened to that song a million times and it makes me a little sad like it's one of my favorite like musically her songs like i really do love it but like lyrically it makes me a little sad because there's a sense in which I think it exposes this idea that we really kind of do believe, like, once you find love, once you find romance, you, you then you're alive. And it's sort of like, is that really all there is to live for? But in another sense, I kind of want to steal that title and say, like, Romans 8 is about your, your, your true wildest dreams, the wildest dreams behind your wildest dreams coming true. And I want to read Romans 8. I'm just going to, I don't want to read the whole thing. I'm really kind of preaching the whole thing. I just want to read 18 through 30 for time's sake. Um, well, you have it on your handout. You're welcome to turn in your phone or if you have a Bible to Romans 8. But I'm just going to read 18 to 30, but I'm really going to go up and a little down. But 18 to 30 is what I'm going to read, so let's start there. Uh, here's what Paul writes. So remember the scope of Romans. He's kind of done this whole thing. We're, we're depraved. We're worse than we think we are. We need this thing called justification, how that came to us. He tells us in Romans 3, 4, 5. But then what does that do with us here and now? Sanctification is like how God has changed us, how he is changing us, Romans 6 and 7. And we come to this idea theologically called glorification in Romans 8, which is this idea that you are going to be fully and finally changed into Christ-likeness. That's what the Bible says about you. Like that day is coming. Like so much so that we can say it already has happened, but we live in this tension of the now and not yet. It has happened. It's, it's because you have the Spirit of God in you, it's a promise, it's a guarantee, it's a deposit that's going to happen. But there's the day coming for us where it's going to fully and finally happen, where we're going to be forever changed bodily in resurrection bodies, where we can't sin anymore, where we genuinely love each other and we genuinely love Jesus. And here's what Paul says, Romans 8, starting at 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings 
too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he also, who called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Let me pray for us, and I want to dive into what I want to talk about tonight. Let's pray first. Lord, we thank you for your word. We do thank you. We, you Lord, you tell us it's a light into our path, a lamp into our feet. You tell us, too, that it searches our hearts. Lord, I pray tonight that you would search our hearts by your word in a way where we ask ourselves where our hope is. Do we have this hope that is given to us in Romans 8? Of what not simply you have done and are doing in us, but what one day you will fully and finally do, even as you've begun to, to, to work in the world to renew and make new and redeem and bring new life. And Lord, as, as you work in us, would you, would you bring us to places where we join and participate, where we see our lives, our, our whole lives, our days, our years, our weeks, our months, our seconds, our minutes, our hours, in light of Romans 8. Help us, Lord, we pray. We are helpless apart from your spirit, and we ask you to send your spirit without measure tonight. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. What was the best uh, Christmas present you've ever received? So today, uh, I, I thought we were giving. Uh, today was a, was a really exciting day to me because, to my kids' surprise, we got them an early Christmas present. And the early Christmas present we got them was this little labradoodle puppy. Um, they had no idea. We had, we kind of had done all the work behind the scenes. We drove my wife and I drove out today to get the puppy. We had this plan contrived where we sort of wrapped this box, and the whole idea was that she was going to pick the kids up from school. I was going to be at home, like, just inside. They show up. There's this big box from Santa with the bow in it and, like, what's in the box? And so they come, and, uh, and they open the box, and here's this Labradoodle puppy. His name's Dakota. Dakota Pretzel Sticks Rhodes is his full name <laughs> because Pretzel Sticks is my Sadie uh, demanded that be in his name somewhere. And, uh, but... But it was hilarious because, like, none of the responses, like, we knew my son was going to be pretty excited, and he was a little bit, ex- he was definitely excited but shocked. We thought Sadie was going to be excited. She kept calling him because he tried to bite her, like, that poopy dog. She hates that dog. So, at one point, Eloise was, ran upstairs crying and locked herself in her room while Jane Mack locked herself in the bathroom and said she was never leaving the bathroom because she didn't want to see that stupid dog. <laughs> so, it didn't go exactly as I, had, like, planned because here I was thinking this is the best gift we were ever going to give our kids, and it didn't quite go that way. But I'm thinking about that as Christmas. I'm, obviously, we, have, we gave this gift today. But I'm thinking about that because I think if we could put it like this, Romans 8, whatever, I don't know what you asked for for Christmas or what the best gift you ever got was. But I do know that Romans 8 and the promises of Romans 8 are the gift. We said the gift that we really need, but also the gift that we desperately want. And no gift that we've ever gotten, no gift that we're going to get this Christmas, can, can you know, all of them pale in comparison to the gift of Romans 8, really the gifts of these promises. And I want to do just three promises in Romans 8 that I think are, like, if you live by them, if you open them, if you enjoy them, really do change your life. They, they change the way you do everything. And I, I'm totally taking this from Tim, Tim Keller, who took this from Jonathan Edwards, and I just want to say it three ways. And here's the first one, the first promise, and it's this. 
all your bad things will work for good. This is the first gift that Romans 8 gives to us, that if we open it, it'll change your life. That all of your bad things will work for good. And that's why if you have Romans 8 open, we, go, we need to go up to Romans 8, 1, where Paul says, If you're in Christ, there is therefore now no more condemnation. And he starts there. And he starts there because it's significant, because part of what he's saying is because Christ came and took the condemnation of your sin and my sin that you deserve and that I deserve. All that's left for you and all that's left for me is blessing. And that means that even in the worst things that have happened to you, are happening to you, will happen to you. And this is the part that's incredible news. Even in those things that you yourself have done, those bad things that you have done, are doing, and will do, that because of Christ, because of the cross, because of the gospel, even those things will work together for your good. And part of what Romans 8 is saying to us is, is you know, sometimes we do that Romans 8, 29 thing, 8, 28 thing, and it's, it almost feels like a Hallmark card that you would find or like a, like a, like a little cross stitch you would go to Lifeway and like you'd put up in the living room. And sometimes we read those words and if you're like me, maybe someone has said them to you in a very like trite way. Or maybe you just read those words and you think, what, how can that be true? Like, what about this part of my life? What about this sad thing? What about that bad thing? What about those sad things that are happening? And yet, part of what Paul is saying is that if you're in Christ, this is a promise for you. That you just wait and see how God is going to work the worst parts of your lives, the worst things that you've gone through, even the worst things that you've done for future glory and your good. It's an amazing promise. In other words, he's saying you just wait till you see the infinite wisdom and glory and goodness of God unblinding display on that day where we finally see and are with Jesus. Uh, I always think about the story of Stephen Curtis Chapman because it's, I mean, it's fascinating to me because here, if you growing up youth group person, like I remember when we rallied around the prayer pole, like Stephen, Stephen Curtis Chapman's songs were playing and I like hated him. But then I kind of found out like, no, he seems pretty legit. And what really sold me was about, I don't know if you know this story, about eight years ago, he had an adopted daughter from China. He was, she was five years old and his oldest son had just graduated high school. And they had done the parties, they had celebrated after the graduation, and his oldest son was driving back to the house. He pulled quickly into the driveway and didn't see that the five-year-old daughter was standing in the middle of the driveway, and he ran her over, and it killed her. And, you know, the Chapmans, uh, after taking about a year to process and grieve, they kind of went public on CNN and talked about just this tragic, tragic event, how they were processing it. And they said some really, just real things, like, we've been in our closets yelling, why God, why did you do this? You know, they didn't try to, like, tie a bow of Romans eight twenty eight. like, oh, yes, she's with Jesus in heaven, and oh, we're fine. They said, this has been really hard, it's been really sad. We do believe Jesus knew what he was doing. We do believe that she's with Jesus. And they talk about she had this drawing that day where she literally sort of drew six petals of the family and colored one in and said she's going to see Jesus that day. And it was sort of this kind of amazing thing. But what I love about that story that always gets missed, or sometimes it seems like a, a passing detail, is literally as Stephen Curtis Chapman runs out and he sees the blood on the ground of his daughter that is now dead, he has the wherewithal to look at his son and he says to him, Will Franklin, your father loves you. Because can you imagine the guilt that Will Franklin carries? And yet his father in that moment said, Well, in the midst of the, the deepest tragedy ever at their family, Will Franklin, your father loves you. And I love that because that is Romans 8.28. 
that is a man clinging to this promise and saying, ah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cry my eyes out. I'm going to yell my, my anger out. And yet somehow I'm clinging that God knows what he's doing. Jesus knows what he's doing. In other words, Romans 8 is not this promise that no bad things are going to happen to you. Romans 8 is not this promise that you're going to live this sweet, safe life. That that's somehow what Jesus promises to give you. That's not at all what he's saying. But it, what it is saying, the promise is that you, your whole life, every part of it, all things, good things, bad things, small things, big things, are in the hands of a God with wounds, are in the hands of a God with scars. And because of that, you can trust those parts of your life to him, knowing that somehow, some way, whether you can see it or not see it, whether you can believe it or not believe it, he's working it together for your good. Now, here's how I want to applaud this. If you believe that, if you really believe that, it would make you a better friend. Let me tell you why. Two, two reasons. One, you wouldn't gloss over sad things. Like, part of what I love about Romans 8 is it's acknowledging we're groaning for Jesus to come. Why? Because sad, bad things are happening all around us and in us. <laughs> and so, the kind of friend this is going to make you is a friend who doesn't try to tie a bow of a Hallmark trite, like, oh, just rejoice God, he's with you in this. In other words, if you believe in the sadness of the world, you can sit with your friends in, in the hard, long, cold silence and say, I don't have answers for you, but I love you, and I'm here if you want to talk. Yet at the same time, you can be sad with your friends in genuine ways, but you can also, if you believe this, be hopeful. You can be hopeful that somehow, some way, you know that God is going to use this, is using this, will use this in their lives in powerful, deep, life-changing ways, whether they can see it or you can see it or not. And you see what that does? You can be sad without being glib, or you can be sad but yet hopeful, and yet you can be hopeful without being glib. You can be at the same time sad and also hopeful for your friend as they're going through a hard time. So first, all your bad things will work for good. Second, it just gets better. The second thing that Romans 8 gives us is says this, that your truly good things will last forever. Your truly good things, the things that truly make you come alive, both to others, to the world, to God, will last forever. Look at what Paul says in 19. He has this phrase that's really fascinating when you go back and kind of look at the original. It says in our English, creation waits with anger longing. But if you really go back and look at what it says in the original language, it talks about the creation. It gives this image of creation standing on tiptoes because it's so excited. It's so eager. It's so just ready to see what God is going to do in that day, the way he restores and renews and makes all things new. And this is what's so intriguing about Romans 8 is it gives us this picture of heaven that is so profoundly earthly. That basically says heaven is not this simply solely spiritual individualistic thing that you and I are somehow have a ticket or a part of, but it's this grand, huge thing that involves not just us, but the whole of creation. And that's why the tree, I mean, it's like the image that it gives us, like the trees are like kids on Christmas morning. Like they cannot wait to see what God has begun to do and how he's going to finally fully do it on this day where he finally brings in the new heavens and the new earth. And this is the thing that we have to get. Is, and I love the way that uh, my friend Brian Habeck says it, is God is not making all new things. He's not, he doesn't look at you and me. He doesn't look at creation. He's not like the, 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 the bratty kid on his birthday who doesn't get the gift that he wants And so he sulks and he pouts and he throws the gift away and demands a new one. That's not what God is like. That's not what Romans 8 is saying. It's saying instead that God is this, you know, 
beautiful restorer, that he's making all things new. That part of salvation means he's beginning that work with his spirit in you and me. He's making you new. He's making you as you should have been. But he's also doing that in the world and in all of creation. I love the way that, that Vinoth Ramachandra, I almost messed that name up, he's like an apologist that does, uh, he does speaking tours. And he wrote a book called The Scandal of Jesus. And he says this, he's talking about this idea that, that Christianity is the only religion that believes in this kind of salvation. Here's what he says. He says, so our salvation lies not in escape from this world, but in the transformation of this world. You will not find hope for the world in any religious systems or philosophies of humankind. The biblical vision is unique. That is why when some say that there is a salvation in other faiths, I ask them, what salvation are you talking about? No faith holds out a promise of eternal salvation for the world the way the cross and resurrection of Jesus do. This is how I was thinking about it today. So I think if you're like me, you grew up in a church, or you grew up in, in a, if you grew up in an evangelical church, my understanding of salvation was, and you've probably heard this before, it was like I had a ticket. So like last year for Christmas, I got like the best gift I really have ever given. I gave, I got my wife uh, tickets to see Taylor Swift, like front row tickets in Charlotte. And but the thing was, it was like six months in advance. So she had this ticket, but the ticket was just sort of sitting there, and all she could do was sort of wait until June. I think it was June, like twenty something came, and then she went to the show, and it was incredible. And I think sometimes that's how you and I think about salvation, that we sort of we had this ticket, and we're sort of just waiting. That's why, like some of you. Some of you came to college, and like the way your parents think about college is kind of the way you think about college, which is where you're supposed to sort of ride it out, just sort of wait it out, just survive it, get through it. And you understand, like, if you see salvation this way, that's what you're going to do your whole life. Like, everything is going to be meaningless, except for maybe trying to get other people some tickets. And that's sort of how you think about salvation. And Romans 8 says, no. No. Romans 8 says, salvation is so much bigger than you. It begins in us, but it extends into the full family of the people of God, and it extends beyond that even into the renewal of all of creation. It's bigger than you, which means if we can believe this, it means that here's here's one of the positive things. Here's the the positive side of this, is it means that the, the truly good things that you already love, so like deep conversations with friends over good drinks, laughing so hard that your stomach hurts, like seeing sunsets and sunrises that make you ache with like, I want to tell somebody, and you maybe Instagram it and get some selfish likes out of it. Um, Or seeing this task or this idea like come to completion, like some of the sweetest parts, you know, finishing a a good, like y'all, we went to Michigan for my uh, wife's grandmother's 100th birthday. This past weekend, she turned like a hundred yesterday, which is unbelievable. And she's healthy, like into her eighties. She played golf every day. I mean, like she's an incredible woman. But on the way back, we stopped at the sandwich place in Ann Arbor, Michigan. And as I took this bite of a sandwich that both Oprah and President Obama had had, and I was thinking, is it really going to live up to the hype? It was this um, Reuben, and I'm not really even a Reuben fan. But as I bit it, y'all, it was like. The sandwich behind all sandwiches that I've always longed for. It was like the most delicious thing that I'd ever put. We're going to ride that out. (laughs) Let's just think about that. Let's back back to that sandwich that I'm talking about. The really important things, (laughs) you guys. And as I, I mean, it was just, 
and, and but there's a moment if you're like me, like where you long for that feeling to continue. And there's a sense in which part of what Paul is saying in Romans 8 is there's a day coming where that feeling is going to continue. Uh, that's why I love the end of John's gospel. Like Peter is denied Jesus, and there's that scene where Peter goes out fishing. Jesus has already died, and he's risen. He's, he hasn't yet ascended, but he's in his risen body. Such that Peter's in the sea, if you remember the story, and he's looking out, and he thinks he sees Jesus, and he realizes it's Jesus, and he swims to the shore. And you remember what Jesus is doing? This, like, gets me every time. He's just cooking breakfast. And he, like, cooks the disciples breakfast. And it's this picture of, like, these things matter. New heavens and new earth. We're going to eat breakfast with Jesus. He has a body. We love bodies. And there's a sense in which you've got to get the scope of your salvation. It's bigger, and it, it includes the most mundane things that Jesus cares about. That's why I love one of my favorite quotes. This time of year, in about two weeks, I go to staff training, which is where all the RUF campus ministers, about 100 of us, get together. And, and this year, we're going to Denver, Colorado. And it's my, one of my favorite times of life because we get some good training, but we also get to just hang out. And it makes me think of what C.S. Lewis said about his happiest hours. He said this in, his, um, in the Narnian, his autobiography, or biography. He says, my happiest hours are spent with three or four old friends in old clothes, tramping together and putting up in small pubs, or else sitting up till the small hours in someone's college rooms, talking nonsense, poetry, theology, metaphysics over beer, tea, and pipes. There's no sound I like better than adult male laughter. And I love that because in that one paragraph, he is describing heaven. He is describing what it's going to be like to have Jesus in our midst, laughing with us, embracing us. There's a sense that, here's how I want to apply it. But if you believe this, that all your truly good things will last forever, here's what it would do for you. One of the things is you would take community way more seriously. You would take each other way more seriously. You would take just watching movies and laughing together way more seriously. You would take road trips to go do things that you'll remember much more seriously. You would take those conversations that in non-cheesy ways but real ways talk about your heart and talk about Jesus. You know, sometimes in, in Christian friendship we can do this thing. I mean, you ever the distinction between, like, friends who are Christians and Christian friends? Like, my guess would be a lot of you have friends who are Christians, claim Christianity. But do you have Christian friends where they, they can, like, point you to Jesus? Are you that kind of friend where you can listen to someone's heart in non-judgmental ways? and yet point them to Jesus in ways that are real and true. There's a sense in which if we believe this, that all our truly good things will last forever, it would make us take community, like make time for this kind of community where we enjoy each other and enjoy God together. But then it gets better, and this is the last gift that we kind of get to open from Romans 8, and this is the last one, that your best things will last forever. Your best things, sorry, your best things are yet to come. Your, all your bad things will work for your good. All your truly good things will last forever, and all your best things are yet to come. And this is where Paul gets in, he says in this passage, that we eagerly await our adoption as sons, and we eagerly await the redemption of our bodies. And what does he mean by that? Because there's a sense in which, aren't we already adopted? Aren't we already sons and daughters? Aren't we already redeemed? And this is where we get into the idea of now and not yet. Yes, absolutely, you are. Like, right now, you belong to Christ, you are a son, you are a daughter. And yet, there is a day coming... Where your father is going to bring you into bring you into the embrace of his arms and bring you into his family, you're going to have like the biggest, most incredible family meal 
without all the like weird family dysfunction and drama that you've ever had. Aren't you already redeemed? Yeah. But there's a day coming where your body even will feel the effects of your redemption. So much so that you will no longer be able to sin. So much so that you will not just simply see Jesus and receive what I hope is the most glorious side hug of all time. Although I kind of hope it's maybe a side hug that turns into like a full embrace. I don't know why I'm doing that. <laughs> but there's a sense in which we, our best things are yet to come. Things that so much so that Paul writes in Corinthians that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind can conceive of the things God has prepared for those whom he loves. And this is why, and I've already said it a little bit, but this is why, like, this is part of the promise that as good as that last concert was, as good as that meal was, as good as that movie was, as good as that album was, as good as that book was, as good as that weekend with friends was, there's always a part of you, if you're being honest, that longs for it to last forever and that longs for something even a little more. It makes you long for the book behind the book. It makes you long for the meal behind the meal. It makes you long for the friend behind the friends. It makes you long for something. And part of what Paul is saying in Romans 8 is that day is coming and then some. That thing that we, that we get tastes of, foretaste, is fully coming for us one day. And if we believe this is the last application, here's what it's going to do for us. It's going to make us less cynical. Like, you can't hold the promise of Romans 8 and be cynical. There's a kind of cynicism in the Bible, like, thumbs up. And that's like, you read Ecclesiastes, absolutely. There's a sort of wisdom in a kind of biblical cynicism. But there's another kind of cynicism that almost forgets this promise. That the work Jesus has begun in you, there is a day coming for you. Where he's going to fully and finally bring it to completion in such a way where, like, creation can't wait and it's going to radically change us forever. I'll close with this. There's a friend of mine on Instagram, Wesley Hill. Some of you know he is. Recently went to the funeral of a friend. And at the funeral, this poet, Scott Cairns, wrote, uh, read his poem that he wrote for the friend who died. And I'm going to finish just by reading it because it was so beautiful to me. Just talking about this. Here's what he wrote. It's called um, Words for the Beloved. He says this, And this is the consolation, that the world doesn't end, that the world one day opens up into something better, and that we one day open up into something far better. Maybe like this, One morning you finally wake to a light you recognize as the light you've wanted every morning that has come before, and the air itself has some light thing in it that you've always hoped the air might have. And one is there to welcome you, whose face you've looked for during all the best and worst times of your life. He takes you to himself. He holds you close until you fully wake. And it seems you've only just awakened, but you turn and there we are, the rest of us, arriving just behind you. We'll go the rest of the way together. Let's pray. Jesus, uh, would you give us uh, these gifts? Would you help us to open them, to enjoy them, that we can trust you um, not only with our bad things, but, Lord, that there is a hope that comes with the territory of belonging to you. Hopeful not only about what you are doing and will do with the world and with us, but hope, Lord, that 
our best things truly are yet to come as we get to live life with you forever, with you in our midst, with each other and one another by our side, uh, living and working and playing and laughing and enjoying you all the, all the days for the rest of eternity. We pray these things, Lord Christ, in your name. Amen.